Hey everyone, thanks for checking out the River Community Church podcast. If you want more information about the church or things that are going on, you can visit therivercc.com or you can check out our app at app.therivercc.com. Today's message comes from Pastor Steve Taboo. We are reading from the Bible from Genesis all the way to the end of Revelation. And the good news is, the New Testament is right around the corner. Amen? For those who have been reading with us, it's like the Old Testament takes all the way through October. And so we're about to jump in. If you haven't jumped in with us yet, feel free to jump in with the New Testament. Just think, if you jump in next week and start with the New Testament, you'll read the New Testament in just 10 to, no, that's just 14 weeks and uh, read the whole thing just by reading like three chapters, four chapters a day. So, I invite you to do that. Today, we're talking about keeping the main thing, the main thing. As a church, we've talked about loving God, loving people, impacting the world since day one. And that's been a passion for us. Uh, but as I've read through Matthew, I mean, excuse me, Genesis to Malachi, I've realized Jesus wasn't the first one to speak that. That all through the Old Testament, God was constantly telling the people that what he desired out of them was genuine love, genuine faith, genuine love for their fellow man, and if they would do that, it would make an impact in the world. And so today we're going to look at that and what that looks like. Now, I grew up in a family where my dad had some, some statements that he made, and he would repeat them over and over again to make sure that I, I would learn them, or I should say with the hopes that I would actually learn them. And one of his favorite ones was, son, if you don't have time to do the job right, don't do the job at all. Anybody else ever hear that one? Several of you? Yeah, yeah, well, uh, he needed that one especially for me because if you know me, I have the attention span of a gnat. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm that little bug that just flies from one thing to the next. Oh, it's a bright light, and I'm moving, right? And so he tried to instill in me this idea of, taking the time to do the job right. Well, I remember one year I was coming back from college, and right before coming home, I realized I hadn't rotated my tires like I was supposed to, and I thought, I got to get that done before I go home because he'll notice that. So I thought, I'll get that done. Of course, I put it off, I put it off, I put it off until right before time to go pick up my friend to go all the way to Memphis. I was like, oh, snap, I got to do that. So I pulled out my jack, I jacked my car up, I rotated the tires from front to back, got them all on there, jumped in my car, headed out. I go to pick up my friend, he gets in the car with me, we head down I-40 towards Memphis. About Lebanon, it started making this funny noise. I didn't know why, but all of a sudden it started making this funny noise and it started kind of shaking a little bit. I was like, huh. So I pulled over, I told my buddy, I said, you look at the wheels, I'll check under the hood. I popped through it. I thought maybe the fan belt was going out and it was slapping the engine as it went around. But the fan belt was fine. My other belts were fine. I asked Barry. I said, Barry, how's the, the wheels? He said, they all look good. I said, well, maybe it was a fluke. Hop in. Let's go. So we get in and we start driving down the interstate. Hit that 65, 70 again. It starts shaking incredibly bad. I was like, there's a problem. But about that time, I was distracted from my problem because about 90 miles an hour, just zooming past me, was a tire. 
and my thought went through my head for just a nanosecond, why is the tire passing me on the interstate? And just about the time I got that thought through my head, my front end of my car went nosedive into the interstate because I realized I lost my front wheel. As I hold on to that thing, try to pull it off to the side, sparks are flying everywhere. I look back later, and there's this rut in the asphalt, like three-quarter of a mile from where I'm trying to pull that thing over. Thankfully, my, my tire didn't hit anybody else. It settled in the median, and uh, the thought came to my head, what was I thinking? If you don't have time to do the job right, don't do the job at all. Well, as I've been reading from Genesis to Malachi, over and over again, I keep seeing God's theme over and over again. Love God, love people, and impact the world. I thought it just came in from Matthew, when, in Matthew chapter 22, when, when he was quoting Jesus. And Jesus said, when I asked what the most important commandment was, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And he said, the second is likened to it, love your neighbor as yourself. So that's where we built this loving God, loving people idea on. But as I've been reading, I keep reading over and over again from the prophets that God keeps trying to pull them back to this same idea. And they keep trying to get more religious on him. And that's where we're going to pick up. You got your Bibles, go to uh, Zechariah. Zechariah is almost the end of the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 7. So if you're joining with us in this through the Bible, you remember that the people got exiled into Babylon. The Jews were taken away from their homeland, drug into the nation of Babylon. While they're there, uh, they're sad. They're sad because they don't have their temple with which they can go and worship God. They're sad because they're not in their homeland and so every year, for 70 years, they have this tradition of praying and fasting and mourning the loss of the temple where they used to worship. And they're sad about it. They're brokenhearted about it. And then they move in. King Cyrus lets them move back to Israel and even grants them the money to build the temple. And so then they send an envoy to the prophet to say, do we still have to pray and fast? Do we still need to do this? And that's where we pick up in Zechariah chapter 7, starting in verse 1. On December 4th of the year of King Darius' reign, another message came to Zechariah from the Lord. The people of Bethel had sent Sherezer and Regimelech along with their attendants to seek the Lord's favor. They were asked this question of the prophets, and the priests of the temple of the Lord of heaven's armies. Should we continue to mourn and fast each summer of the three, third anniversary of the temple's destruction as we've done for so many years? The Lord of heaven's armies sent this message in reply. Say to all your people and your priests, during these 70 years of exile, when you fasted and mourned in the summer and in early autumn, was it really for me that you were fasting? And even now in your holy festivals, aren't you eating and drinking just to please yourself? Isn't this the same message the Lord proclaimed through the prophets in years past when Jerusalem and the towns of Judah were 
hustling and bustling with people in the Negev and the foothills of Judah were well populated? Let's go to the Lord. Let's ask him to speak to us from Zechariah as to what might apply to us today. Lord, I'm so glad that what you wrote over 2,000 years ago still applies to us today. It is so much about the heart. And so, God, I pray that today, everybody in here, Lord, that you would help us pause and that we would open the door of our heart to you this morning and give you the freedom to speak truth into our lives in the areas that we're being religious and not real. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so in this passage here in Zechariah, the people are wanting to know if they need to keep praying and fasting and doing these religious ceremonies. And God responds to him. He calls them out and he says, listen, was it really for me that you're doing them in the first place? Was your heart really to glorify me and worship me? Or were you just doing this stuff to feel better about yourself? And I feel like we need to ask that question about ourselves. Has anybody in here ever gotten in the spiritual rut in your life? If so, raise your hand. You ever got in a spiritual rut? Okay, that's probably everybody at some point, right? You know, you, you get to where you're going to church, you're, you're praying at the dinner table, you're reading your daily devotional, and all of a sudden, it just feels like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. Feels like what you're reading in the Bible is is almost more historical than spiritual. And the tension at work or the tension at home, and it's just, is it for real or is it just religious busyness? Anybody relate? That's where these folks were. They were in a rut. They were just doing religious stuff to look religious, to sound religious, but it wasn't in their hearts, and so it wasn't affecting their lives. And God says, I don't want it anymore, guys. I don't want your fake faith. I want you. Turn over, if you would, to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter one. Isaiah one, the message is similar, but a little clearer, if you would. Isaiah one, starting in verse 11. He calls them out on the same issue. Matter of fact, it's all throughout the Old Testament. The prophets, they're constantly calling the people back to a love for God and a love for people. Verse 11, what makes you think I want all your sacrifices, says the Lord? I am sick of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened cattle. Let's pause there for a minute. It was God that asked for the burnt offerings. It was God that asked for the sacrifices. And now he's saying he's sick of them. Well, why was he sick of them? Was it because he didn't want them? Because he didn't ask for them in the first place? No, he did ask for them. He's sick of them because they're faking it. They're just mailing it in. They're trying to check the religious box and say, okay, God, I went to church. Check. You should be happy with me today. I'm such a good guy. And in their hearts, they are stinking evil. 
treating people like garbage, cheating people, oppressing the poor, taking advantage of the widow and the orphan. And God says, I don't want your sacrifice. I don't want this outward stuff that you're trying to impress people with. I want your heart. So he goes on, verse 12. When you come to worship me, who asked you to parade through my courts with all your ceremony? Stop bringing me your meaningless gifts. The incense of your offering disgusts me. As for your celebrations of the new moon and the Sabbath and your special days for fasting, they are all sinful and false. I want no more of your pious meetings. I hate your new moon festivals and your annual festivals. They are a burden to me. I cannot stand them. When you lift up your hands in prayer, I will not look. Though you offer many prayers, I will not listen. For your hands are covered with the blood of innocent victims. So what's he saying? You want to know why I'm not hearing your prayers, guys? Because your hands are covered with the blood. Because you're lying, you're cheating, you're stealing. You're doing all this evil to your fellow man. And then you're coming into the temple, you're coming into worship, and you're all pretending to be all goody-two-shoes. And he's calling them out on their fake religion. And you know what? The Lord has to speak to me about this because he talks about these celebrations, these religious celebrations they have. Let's go ahead and finish it up here because he gives them an answer, which is good. Wash yourselves and be clean. Get your sins out of my sight. Give up your evil ways. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of the orphan. Fight for the rights of widows. Come now, let's settle this. Though your sins be as scarlet, I will make them white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. God tells them, here's the answer. Turn away from the falsehood of that religiousness and turn your heart to him. Now, the thing that leaped out to me on this is when he's talking about these religious holidays and how they're not even paying attention to God on those, they're just doing it for themselves. And I thought of how we treat our religious holidays today. And I thought, I need to hear this. Let's take Easter, the day we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord. Do you see more Easter bunnies in Walmart for sale or do you see more pictures of the cross sell? Do you see more displays publicly of egg hunts or more displays of a call to worship the resurrected king? Let's move to the one coming right around the corner, Thanksgiving. I didn't even grow up knowing it was a religious holiday. I thought Thanksgiving was all about the turkey and all about going to grandma's house and eating as much as I could. But if you go back to the history of Thanksgiving, it was the early settlers who were followers of Christ who came here for religious freedom, who were rescued through the generosity of the American Indian and the provision of God miraculously, that they were able to live through the winter, and they invited the American Indian to come join with them to celebrate and praise God and give him thanks for the miracle that he had done for them. And we instituted that as a day of thanksgiving to God as a nation. 
today, if I'm being honest, my first thought of Thanksgiving is turkey. Anybody else? Okay, bunch of liars. You ain't really. <laughs> I'm going to preach online next week. I tell you what, I'm the only one that thinks turkey first. Come on now. <laughs> I think turkey. I think football. Okay. Okay, I got one. Thanks for being honest back there. Way to lead the example for these guys. Uh, I, I think family. And thanksgiving to God is, is literally at the number four. And, and the Holy Spirit's convicted me here. I'm going, okay, I'm not doing too good on that one. I would say Easter for me, it is a passion for the resurrection, but Thanksgiving, I was like, you know what? I'm not doing that good, and then it comes Christmas. Now, please let me say, because I have this conversation with people all the time. I know Jesus was not born on December 25th, okay? Most likely, he was born in the summertime, of what, what summertime for us. Not likely it was December 25th. It was a pagan holiday, and the Christians in the Roman Empire did not want to celebrate that pagan holiday as the rest of their people did. And so they made a decision that on that holiday, they, instead of worshiping a false god, would worship the true God, the true and living God. And they set aside December 25th as the day to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And once again, if you go to Lowe's or anywhere else, you can find more minions more inflatable minions for Christmas than you can find inflatable manger scenes. Where is our heart? Are we listening to what Zechariah says to us and letting it soak in to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? I want to challenge you because the word challenged me, and I think it should challenge all of us. Let's not be fake in our faith. Are there days that we're going to get in a rut? Definitely. And let the word inspire us where it tells us what to do. Go and wash your hands, you sinners. Confess your sins. And he says, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red as crimson, like the deepest red there is, they shall be as wool. That's the hope that God gives us, is that although we may find ourselves in this place of religiousness and fake faith in the moment. The hope is that through prayer and repentance and genuine faith and love, we can move to this other place of freshness and joy in our lives. We can have that kind of hope. Well, that's the first thing is love, and the second thing, loving God, and the second thing he wants us to know is we're called to love people. Zechariah 7, 9, and 10 says, this is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Judge fairly and show mercy and kindness to one another. So we need to start by showing mercy and kindness to each other. You and I can have mercy and kindness. But then verse 10, do not oppress the widows, the orphans, the foreigners, and the poor, and do not scheme against each other. So it's this picture how a judge will judge fairly with justice and mercy. Now, I used to think until literally just as I was praying through this, that justice and mercy were on opposite ends of the spectrum. You're either full of justice or you're full of mercy. And that the two really couldn't walk hand in hand. But then last night, a marshmallow changed my mind. It was, it was deep. 
It was a deep thought I had. We're sitting there around a fire doing s'mores, right? We got the marshmallows going. And the person's house I was at opened up the bag of marshmallows, and it was the second greatest invention I've ever seen. You know how that hot dog pokers used to just be a single poker, right? For those who don't know the, uh, the amazing transformation of the hot dog poker, it used to be you had a one poker, you stick the hot dog on, you put it in the fire, and it would always fall off in the fire. It was so frustrating. And then somebody came up with a genius idea of the double poker, right? So you put the hot dog on the double poker, and it doesn't fall off in the fire. Great invention. But they forgot about the marshmallow. You put the one marshmallow on, and it still slides off, gets gooey all over your hands. Well, last night, new invention's out. The double-sided marshmallow. Have you seen this? I mean, this, this is big stuff. The marshmallow is like two big fat marshmallows connected together, and so they fit perfectly on the double poker. <laughs> Problem solved, right? Now you're thinking, where's the pastor going? As I was thinking of justice and mercy, you need both prongs. It's not one or the other. If so, your hot dog falls in the fire. You need the double prong of justice and mercy, both. If you just have mercy, you have what we saw in California this last year where they said, hey, we understand it's tough times, it's COVID, so we won't prosecute anybody shoplifting under $1,000. Did you see those videos? People walking in the stores. Walgreens shut down several stores in San Francisco because people walking in with no hoodie or nothing on, they're just like proud as can be counting up their, their purchases up to like $900 and then walking out because they know nobody's going to prosecute them. That's what happens when you have no justice. You have chaos. But then you, without mercy, there's no hope. And that's why we need mercy and chaos. Mercy says, listen, you did something wrong, but if you'll wash your hands, you sinner, confess your sins, you may be covered in sin, but I will wash you white as snow. That's mercy. Make sense? So I just want to say that Zechariah has given us a beautiful recipe here, justice and mercy together. And as followers of Christ, we need to live uprightly and support justice, but we also have to have the merciful heart of helping others. And that's the last thing, is impacting the world. Zechariah 7.10, do not oppress the widows, the orphans, the foreigners, and the poor. And this is where we become proactive. This is where we seek to see and live out what Christ said in Luke 4. Luke 4.18, it's almost like Jesus is repeating Zechariah, right? Luke 4.18 and 19, he says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, the blind will see, the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Wow, that's what Christ came to do, to set the captives free, to declare the good news and hope for the poor. One of our partners that we have at the church is an organization called Compassion International. My wife and I have been blessed to be able to travel and see the work that they do overseas. 
and they do a great work. They provide education. They provide food. They provide uh, Christian training, and they provide clothing for kids all over the world, Southeast Asia, South America, all over the world, they provide these ministries that help the poorest of the poor be rescued out of their poverty. We got a video now that talks about it, and then following up, we have the blessing of having Cecilia. Cecilia is coming to share with us. She was a compassionate child, and now God has rescued her, and she has a testimony to share. Listen to this. Growing up as a child, life was very hard, and many of the times that if we didn't have food, then we'd go to scavenge in the, in the dumping sites. I didn't have food the day before, neither the other day before. I only knew that I was hungry and I needed food. As a child, I grew up with a lot of hopelessness and I knew that death was the best thing for me. At the age of seven, I lost three family members. I lost my mom and I lost my stepdad. I lost my small brother, Patrick, because of the terrifying disease of HIV AIDS. In the middle of prostitution. Feeling so helpless. Poverty made me feel less valued. It made me feel not loved. It made me feel uh, less of a human. It's so hard when you have not eaten dinner and knowing you not have lunch and you're not assured for dinner the following day. It's just feeling very helpless, like things are not gonna be better. I lost four of my siblings due to preventable diseases. Um, three of them died before the age of five. My sister, we were sleeping with her in the same bed and she, she had died. Things changed later when I joined the program. When I started attending the Compassion Project, I was learning about the Bible, but the most important thing for me was that I was receiving food. I got an opportunity to go to school. Uh, with a pair of school uniform, with a pair of shoes. My mother heard about a church that worked with children. They're taking care about me, tutors, a pastor, a compassion director. Words are very powerful. My life was changed because someone told me, I believe in you, I love you, and I know you will succeed in life. My sponsor was a college student from Michigan, and in the first letter, she just told me that she wanted to make room for me. My sponsor, he was eight years old when I was nine, so he was one year younger than me. One decision to make room for one more changed my life. Saved my life. Saved my life. Will you make room for a child that needs you? Will you make room for one more? It's up to you. My 
My name is Rafiano. My name is David. My life was changed by a 26 years old college student. Her name is Joan. Gail and Roger. Her name is Jamie. My sponsor made room for one more. And that one more. And that one more was me. Was me. Sponsor a child through compassion today. Release a child from poverty in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I have with me today Cecilia, and excited to have her. She shared first service, did a great job. Challenged us to this one more idea. That's why we have the blue chair, the idea of one more. Can we, can we make room in our heart for one more? And I got to tell you, Cecilia, we already had two compassion kids, and I was thinking, yeah, that's, that's enough for us. We're good. And then I opened my heart to pray about it. And then I heard the video, and I was like, Okay, we can make room for one more. And I went back out there and I looked, and I was looking for one same date as our international student we have that lives with us, and I couldn't find one. But the closest date, what's the name on that? Uh, Jesus. <laughs> you know, this is who I picked. <laughs> I, did, I don't know if I get extra credit for doing a lot for Jesus, but, but we're going to adopt Jesus, of course, <laughs> as our new compassion kid. I want you to hear Cecilia's story as she shares what God has done in her life through this ministry that we can be a partner with. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> Good morning. It's still morning, right? <laughs> I think we got up way too early. Anyway, <laughs> I've, had, I've already had one coffee, so we're good. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me here today. It's such a joy and an honor to stand here just to share with you uh, what God has done in my life. I am grateful for this far because I know um, it would not have been possible if it was not through Compassion International. So today, in a few minutes, I'll share with you uh, what my life was like before Compassion and what, uh, how Compassion changed my life and the reason that I'm standing here today. Uh, as Pastor Steve has said, my name is Cecilia Nyamwanda. I'm from, originally from Kenya, and um, I grew up in a small village in Western Kenya, and uh, my parents didn't have a source of income. What they did was subsistence farming, meaning they grew things on the farm. If anything grew, then we had food. And there are periods of time where we did not have food. And uh, to add on to that, growing up in a village set up meant that my parents never went to school. So they did not see the need to put any of us in school or to emphasize the importance of education for us. And um, to add on to that, um, they were alcoholics. So many days they would disappear from home. They would go drinking somewhere and um, we would not know where they were. And when they came back home, it was fighting and violence back home. Growing up in that environment uh, was difficult because every day you wake up, you're asking yourself, you know, um, are we going to have food today? Or where are our parents today? 
or you know very well that you're not going to go to school, you see other kids going to school, and you ask, will there be a time that we'll also be able to go to school? So one thing that is, uh, one verse that really encourages me is from Jeremiah 29, 11, which says, uh, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. <clears throat> I did not have hope <laughs> living in that environment. I did not think that I would be anything in life because of what was happening around us. But I'm grateful because um, one day my uncle came home, my mother's brother, and he told her that he was going to help her. And um, our home was known for all the wrong reasons. Our home was always the home where either our parents were never there, and if they were there, they were always fighting. And um, that was difficult. And my uncle came and told my mother that he was going to help her by taking one of her children out of the all the kids they had. I'll take one child, go with this child to Nairobi, which is the capital of Kenya. He was going to put this child in school, and he hoped that one day this child will come back and change this family. So you can guess which child he picked, right? He picked me because I shared a name with my grandmother, so he felt I was named after his mother, so he took me to Nairobi to live with him. And true to his word, he uh, put me in school, but he could not keep me in school. So there are two things. Uh, uh, he could not afford to pay for my cousins and I to stay in school. So I was in and out of school most of the time. I remember a time where I would go to school and they would tell me, hey, you've not finished paying your tuition money, so go back home and bring the money. I go home and I know there's no money. So I go there, I stay for some time. I think that, oh, maybe they forgot in school that I owe them money, right? So I say, okay, let me go back to school. Ah, no, they've not forgotten. Go back home. So it was back and forth, back and forth. And I really wanted to stay in school, not just to go to school, but to stay in school. I'm grateful for Compassion International because um, Compassion International works with the local churches in uh, almost 27 different countries around the world. And in these countries, they set up uh, compassion projects. These compassion projects, they employ like social workers who know the community, who can go out and reach out to anyone who is in need. And I'm grateful that one day they came to our school looking for needy children. I don't even think I was in school that day, but my grade three teacher gave them my name. They came and looked for me in my aunt's place. And when they found me, they realized that there was a need. And I got enrolled into the compassion program around the age of nine. And that is when my life began to change. Through the sponsorship of Bob and Colleen Staggs from Ames, Iowa, I was able to stay in school, not just to go to school, but to stay in school. I was able to get medical care. And as I was looking at that video uh, that you just watched, I know two people in that video personally, Raphael and David from Kenya, and we've gone through the compassion program together. So most of the stories they were sharing, it's basically for me, it was like looking into a mirror into my own life. Because for me, um, 
being able to go to the compassion program, being able to get medical care is not something that I take for granted because like Raphael or David, I lost two siblings to diseases that were preventable, but we could not afford medical care at that time. In Kenya, if you go to a hospital and you don't have money up front or you don't have insurance, nobody's going to look at you. Nobody's going to take care of you. So I know for, uh, for a fact that for me, being able to get medical care through compassion is one of the reasons that I'm standing here today. I'm grateful because of the medical care I also got through compassion because I lost one sibling. My mom was giving birth at home because she could not afford to go to the hospital. And as I stand here today, I'm grateful because of my sponsors, Bob and Colleen Staggs. Those letters to me were life-changing. Imagine a child living in extreme poverty with no hope, with nothing positive happening around you. Then you get this one letter from someone you do not know, you have never met, thousands and thousands of miles away. Someone writing to you and telling you how much they love you, that they're praying for you, that they care for you, and that you can be somebody even when you do not believe in yourself. Part of the reason I'm here is because of my sponsor's letters, because many times in my life, there were many moments where I almost gave up because things were so hard and I almost gave up. But I had these letters from my sponsors that I would spread out and read. Every time those feelings came in, I had these letters that I would read and they would speak life to me and I would get up from there and go on because of these letters. And I'm grateful because Bob and Colleen Staggs of their sponsorship, because through that, I was able to go to the Compassion Project every Saturday. We would go to school Monday to Friday, every Saturday, go to the Compassion Program uh, Project. One good thing about the Compassion Project was that this was a time that most of us got to just be kids. Like, away from all the things that were happening at home or happening in school, you go to the Compassion Project and this is where you can play. You can forget about your problems and just be a child. Learn the word of God, play with other kids. And one important thing, eat good food. Like we would go to the Compassion Project because that would be the place that we would eat meat for the first time in a week. Like you knew there was always good food there. And uh, one other thing was that I could go to the project when there was no food at home and I would ask them for food and I would take it home. And they, that was something for us that was just amazing, that there was this one place that you could go to, this one place where there are people who cared about what we were going through. And I'm grateful because of the sponsorship of Bob and Colleen Staggs, because through their sponsorship, I was able to stay in school and God opened many opportunities through that. I completed my elementary education through uh, Compassion. I went to high school through Compassion International. And uh, after I completed that, I went to the University of Nairobi to pursue a bachelor's degree in physics. And my sponsors took me through that, uh, through the Compassion's leadership development program. I graduated from the Compassion program when I completed my bachelor's degree. 
And from there, I got a scholarship to go to Italy for two years to pursue a postgraduate diploma in physics. And when I finished that, I got a scholarship. I know you're trying to guess how old I am. (laughs) (laughs) Don't guess. I'll tell you later. (laughs) But (laughs) from there, I got a scholarship to come to Memphis, Tennessee in 2011 to pursue a PhD in geophysics, which by the grace of God, I completed in December of 2015. I am grateful to God because the sponsorship did not just change my life. Being in the Compassion Project, I learned the Word of God. I gave my life to Jesus because someone at the project shared with me what the love of God was. And I remember praying there one day and just saying, Lord, I had just one prayer that God, would you change my family? Would our story be different? Would my parents stop drinking? That was my only prayer. And guess what? He did. My parents stopped drinking. They started going to church, and this was something I never thought was possible. So when you sponsor a child with compassion, you're not just changing that child's life. You're changing a family. You're changing a community. Raphael, that you saw on the video right now, works at Compassion International Office in Kenya, and he's doing the things that were done to him. When he was a child, he's now impacting other children right now. And I'm just grateful uh, because even for me right now, I am a sponsor with compassion because I know what it means to be Jesus, right? Jesus, Jesus, yeah. (laughs) Waiting for someone to pick you up and just help you thrive. It's like having a plant. Um, You give it water, you give it sunlight, you give it the nutrients it needs to grow. That is what my sponsors did for me. And uh, for me, being a sponsor with compassion is personal because I know what it means to be that child. Uh, we also started a, a, sponsor, a mentorship program in Kenya for women in physics, where we provide opportunities and, um, for growth and also encouraging more girls and women to pursue uh, physics. And I'm working as a researcher at Memphis, Tennessee uh, right now. I'm grateful to God for Bob and Colleen Staggs. Um, when I came here in uh, 2011, uh, my sponsors drove from Ames, Iowa to Memphis, Tennessee to come and see me. And um, they introduced me to a very nice like fried chicken place, like, you know. <laughs> Gas fried chicken. Anyone has had gas fried chicken? Memphis, Tennessee? Yeah, you should try. I didn't even know it it existed and I was living in Memphis. But they came and we spent a day with them. And that was just a time for me to say thank you. Thank you for all that you have done for me. Not just for me, but for my family, for my community. And I remember after that, uh, one spring break, 2013, my husband and I drove to Ames, Iowa now to visit them over spring break. And uh, when we got there, they had this folder, Cecilia's folder, with all the letters and all the photos they had received of me. And I was sitting at their kitchen table just looking through everything that I had ever sent to them. And that was really, really amazing. I'm grateful because my sponsors always wrote about a garden. Like she would always tell me what she was growing in that garden. And 
I would picture that garden, every letter, like every letter she sent. When we were at the Compassion Project, there would always come a time where they would call out the names of all the kids who had letters from their sponsors. And I was always on that list because my sponsors were always writing. When I got my letters, I would always skip to where is she talking about the garden? Like <laughs> before, before I read everything, I know she's going to talk about the garden. And I pray that one day I would see that garden. And I did. When we went there, she showed me that garden. And true, it was there. There was nothing on it. But it was there. So all these letters that you write to your sponsored children, they're things that stick with us. Because I still have all the words. I could say every word that my sponsor was writing to me because those were the things that were keeping me going. Knowing that, hey, I love you. I'm praying for you. They told me that when they decided to sponsor me, they were looking for two things. One, they were looking for a boy. And they were looking for a boy who shared a birthday with their grandson. But they took my packet home. In my defense, I had very short hair and I was tiny, so maybe I passed boy. But they did not return that packet. They decided to sponsor me. And they did not stop with me. When I got out of the program, they took somebody else. And I've learned so much from my sponsors. And that love that knows no boundaries, that knows no country and everything is just amazing. So today, I am just here to say thank you. I'm here to encourage anyone who is sponsoring to write those letters. I'm here to encourage anyone who has been thinking about sponsoring a child. Even if you are already sponsoring a child, can you create room for just one more? Because it's amazing. It's life-changing. And I'm just so grateful to be here. Uh, we'll be out here after the service. If you have any other questions, please feel free to come. Talk to me. Talk to anyone. And I just want to say thank you for this time. And uh, yeah, God bless you so much. And let us do this. Let us help release children today from poverty in Jesus' name. God bless you so much. Thank you. chair represents. That's what the video was talking about. And Cecilia was a real life story that was impacted through Compassion International. As we've launched out this month of October, we've, we've rebranded it as Impactober, a, a way that we can practically be the hands and feet of Jesus. And so here's the invitation for you today. Can you make room for one more? As Cecilia said, Compassion International, they come alongside children that need not only food and education, healthcare, but they share the gospel with them and give them spiritual guidance. So that $38 a month goes far more than what it could here and us just participating in giving. Compassion has a network to be able to impact thousands upon thousands of children. So the invitation to you is, do you have room for one more? 
as we leave today, you're going to have an opportunity to go out in the lobby. There's even a couple of tables up here and pray about who you want to impact. As Brian shared in the video earlier, you're going to be hearing this month about praying and giving and going. Well, I'm I'm going to flip the script a little bit, and I'm going to challenge you to go, to give, and to pray. I'm going to challenge you to get up from this seat and go into the lobby and find a child that you can sponsor, that you can give back to, that you can give a future to. As Cecilia said, this didn't just change her life. It changed her family's life and probably generations to come. So you can go and you can give. And once you choose that child, you'll even be able to take a picture of your child home and begin praying every day. I know our family, we have a couple of children and around the dinner table at night, we pray for Yo and B as they're affectionately known in our home. And so those are practical ways that today, maybe you don't know how you can be an impact, but this is a way. So I'm gonna invite you to stand with me this morning and we're gonna pray. And once we do, you are gonna be dismissed to go and be in the hands and feet of Jesus. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you that you give us the opportunity to be an impact, not only just right here in Cookville, Tennessee, not right here in in the state or in this nation, but around the world. Lord, I pray that as as we walk out, I I pray that you begin to prick hearts now of how how we can make room for just one more so that we can see these children go from a a place of desperation to thriving and, and Lord, coming to know you. So God, help us to be your hands and feet. We ask and pray all these things in your son's name, amen. If you're joining us online, I want you to know as well, or maybe you get out into the lobby and there's a lot of people around the table. There's one other way that you can connect with Compassion International, and you can text the word river, the word river, to 83393. So now I encourage you and I challenge you to go. Hey guys, thanks so much for checking us out online today. If you want more information about the church or things that's going on here, be sure to check out theriverCC.com or download our app and visit us there. Also, as we go through the Bible this year, we want to help keep you engaged on what's being read and talked about each week. To do that, we have a podcast called The Word This Week, which will recap each week's readings, as well as have special guests who will talk about what God showed them that week. So be sure to check that out on all podcast streaming platforms. And again, thanks so much for checking us out online.